Good morning. All right. Good morning. Monday morning. Here you are. Who had an 8 a.m. this morning? Well done. Good job. You guys are the overachievers among us. Awesome. Um, you are here. It is your first full week of classes. You have survived a weekend. Well done. Um, and it's just really good to be with you guys. It really is doing my heart so much good to see this room full of people. Um, well, here you are. I was thinking about this chapel, and it's like the first kind of real chapel of the semester. Um, and I was thinking about how much I love new semesters because it really feels like a new opportunity or sort of a blank slate, if you will, right? It's sort of an opportunity for you to learn new things, to meet new friends, or to deepen friendships that already exist. Um, maybe it's a chance for you to try something new that you've never tried before. You have, a new, you have lots of new opportunities stretching out in front of you as you look at this semester. And I think you also have lots of new opportunities to discover more of who it is that God has created you to be. You have opportunities in front of you to discover more of what God intends for you to become. And I want to talk to you this morning because I think that there's one key, actually, to this idea of becoming. And I think the key to becoming these people that God has designed and created us to be is love. So many of you, if you are not new here, actually, even if you're new here, you've probably heard about our dog, Whitaker. He's a golden doodle. and He's wonderful. He's a very good dog, except when he is not. Like all dogs, Wit has come, he comes with his kind of the dog downsides, right? He, we have a messier house, we have a dent in our, bed, our budget, a couple of shoes have been lost to Wit's chewing habit. And I love dogs, and so do my kids, so it's really easy for us to sort of overlook all of Wit's many offenses. But my husband, Gustavo, is not quite the dog lover that we are, all right? He tolerates dogs. Um, and he kind of tolerates wit. So the other day when I heard my son ask Gustavo, my husband, he said, Dad, do you love wit? And this is really important to him. This is a very important question. And I, was, I expected my husband to say something like, well, he's all right, or like, it's fine. But my, my husband said, son, I love you, and so I love wit. I was struck with both the simplicity and the depth of this answer. If we are part of any meaningful relationship, we get this, don't we? To love someone means that we learn, or at least try to learn, to love the things that they love. I watch Marvel movies and I try sushi because those are things that my husband enjoys. He, in turn, buys dark chocolate instead of milk chocolate, and he goes on hikes with me because those are things that I appreciate. He loves the ocean. I've learned to love the ocean, even though there's sand. I love mountains. He takes trips to Colorado with me. Our marriage is fully, full and more joyful because we attempt to love the things that the other person loves. We at least try, right? A minute ago, I said that love is the key to becoming who we were created to be. And so let me clarify, because I think actually the key to becoming who we were created to be means loving Jesus. But sometimes, 
you might wonder what that means. I know I do. What does it mean to love Jesus? Well, put simply, in biblical terms, it means to follow him. But what do we mean when we talk about following Jesus? He's not physically here with us. We can't follow him physically. I think that it means learning to love the things that Jesus loves. But for some reason, when we often talk about discipleship, we talk about more of what we know, maybe, than what we love. But it does make me wonder how our understanding of following with Jesus, following Jesus would change if we started that conversation by asking, what does Jesus love? The more I pursue these questions, the more I become convinced that discipleship is more about love than anything else. In fact, I would argue that following Jesus means at least in part learning to love the things that he loves. Discipleship is essentially a reordering of our loves to realign with Jesus's loves. Or to put it another way, following Jesus is an apprenticeship of the heart. Now the heart, in biblical language, refers to more than our emotions or more, to, more than the organ that keeps us alive. Instead, when biblical writers talk about the heart, they mean it as the epicenter for all that we do. Our hearts are the very core of who we are, the control center for what we think and what we feel and what we say and what we do. It is where we make our choices motivated by desires. Our heart is where our affections and our desires are, cent are centered. Essentially, our heart, according to the Bible, is the core of all parts of human existence. So we think from our hearts, we feel from our hearts, we speak from our hearts. The heart, then, the epicenter of our being, should, be a, should hold a prominent place in our conversations around discipleship. What we love and how we love should impact how we view living life under the reign of Jesus. To love the things that Jesus loves inherently means loving the way that Jesus loves too. I don't have time to unpack this right now, but let's think for a second. Jesus, how did he love? He radically embraced sinners, but he always spoke the truth. Jesus lovingly welcomed doubters, even as he boldly confronted hypocrisy. He showed great compassion, but he also called for repentance. He was accepting, but never compromising. He was gentle, but not passive. He called people to costly obedience, but he never diminished suffering. He loved his heavenly, righteous Father, and he also loved sinners. And we see in Scripture not only the way that Jesus loved, but we see the things that Jesus loves too. And he loves many things. In fact, I think the gospel accounts are really just stories of all the things that Jesus loves. And I want to focus on three things this morning. The people that Jesus loves, the habits that Jesus loves, and the pursuits or the, the attitudes of the heart that Jesus loves. So, I've been reading through the gospels this summer, and it has been a delight to stop and pay attention to the people that Jesus loves. Think with me. We know these stories. Jesus loves children. He loves the sick and the hurting. He loves women. Jesus loves his disciples. He loves those who have very honest questions. 
But listen, friends, Jesus loves the church. He loves his people, his flock, his sheep, his body, his bride. He loves his church. In Ephesians 5.25, it tells us, Paul tells us that Christ loved the church actually so much so that he gave himself up for her. In Revelation, the church is repeatedly referred to as the bride of Christ. Y'all, Jesus prays for the church. In John 17, Jesus repeatedly prays that his new followers would know the love of God in the same way that he knew the love of God. And then in verse 24 of John 17, Jesus prays that we, us in this room, along with all of the saints who have gone before us, might dwell with him forever. He loves the church so much that he gave himself up for her just so that we could live with him forever. Jesus loves the church. He loves his body. He loves his bride. He loves his sheep. And here's why this is important. Look around. As you look around this morning, you are sitting next to a member of the body of Christ. You are sitting next to part of his family. You are sitting next to a part of the church. You are all unique and integral parts of this body. You all have something specific to do, a part to play in the body of Christ. And as you look around, though, remember that Jesus loves these people in the room with you. He loves his church. He loves you, and he loves those sitting next to you, and he loves those sitting across the room from you. He loves those of you that are shy and those of you that are not shy, and he loves those of you that are awkward, which aren't we all, actually? (laughs) And he loves those of you who are insecure and those of you who are confident. He loves the church. So let's take this a step further. If following Jesus looks like learning to love the things that Jesus loves, then following Jesus means that you need to start loving the people in this room. It means that you start to consider the needs of others as more important than your own needs. To follow Jesus means that you learn to love those in this room because he loves them. That challenges the way that you talk about people when they aren't in the room, doesn't it? It changes the way that you date and the way that you joke around and the way that you carry yourself on the hall. Following Jesus means to learn to love the people that Jesus loves. And Jesus loves the church. All right, second, habits. Following Jesus also means learning to love the habits that Jesus loves. So as you read through the Gospels, you start to pick up on a variety of things that Jesus did regularly in his life, right? We notice habits that he started to incorporate. We regularly see Jesus retreating to pray with his Father. He spends time alone in solitude and prayer, right? He loved that time and shows that he prioritized that time even when crowds were pushing in on him and asking for his attention. But Jesus, y'all, I want to focus on one habit this morning, is that Jesus loved rest. And more specifically, he loved a day of rest. We call it sometimes the Sabbath. Now, at first glance, if you read through the Gospels, it may seem that Jesus had a really complicated relationship with the Sabbath. Throughout the Gospel accounts, he constantly ran into conflict around this because of what he did or did not do on the Sabbath, right? So he taught on the Sabbath, he gleaned 
on the Sabbath. Um, he healed on the Sabbath. And as a result, the spiritual leaders of the day felt that they had what they needed to arrest him. But Jesus loved the Sabbath. Built into his rhythm of life was six days of work and one day of rest. He embodied this cadence. And this pattern came from a deep conviction about the purpose of the Sabbath, that the purpose of the Sabbath is designed to remind and call us into our creaturely dependence through worship. The Sabbath was intended to bring our whole selves, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, to a full stop. But Jesus actually did more than just talk about rest. He embodied it. And rest is a crucial aspect to actually Jesus' very heart. Listen to Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Did you hear that? Jesus invites us into his rest. In fact, he gives us his rest. It can't be purchased. His rest is not transactional. It's a gift. So, if learning to love things that Jesus loves is how we follow Jesus, then it means that we should learn to love the Sabbath. We should find great joy in rest. I'll be honest. My current thinking about this is very weak at best and completely forgotten at worst. And it's killing me. And I think it's killing you too. When we fight against a rhythm of rest, a rhythm that Jesus practiced and loved, we reap the consequences. A week of classes and work and late nights and workouts at the gym and time with friends and homework, all these things, right, leave us exhausted. Mentally, we grow lethargic and numb and distracted. We aren't creative anymore. Emotionally, we get irritable and angry and overwhelmed and we can't forgive. Physically, our immune systems take a, take a, a toll and we get sick and we can't keep our eyes open when we pray. And then we feel surprised when maybe God seems kind of far away or distant. Remembering a day of rest is an essential part of following Jesus. It is a way of pressing into our humanity the way it was always meant to be experienced it, and actually the way that Jesus modeled experiencing it for us. But here's the beauty. Loving rest Loving the Sabbath involves delightful variety. It could mean taking a nap, that's my personal favorite, or eating with friends, or baking bread, or reading a book, or going on a hike. But the rest that Jesus invites us into is a soul-level rest. And the only way to truly experience that is to regularly and willingly, and maybe even joyfully, admit our need for him. We have an opportunity to practice this dependence and to shape our priorities into a rhythm to reorient our hearts through liturgy when what? When we gather with the body of Christ on Sunday mornings to worship. This is why rest and worship 
are completely intertwined. You can't have true rest without also having pre, uh, properly ordered worship. When we worship God, we recognize who He is and how He cares for and sustains us. And that knowledge sinks deep down into the nooks and crannies of our heart and our mind and our soul and even our bodies. And it bids our anxious fears goodbye. Rest requires us to relinquish control and to remember and to surrender and to trust. Y'all, Jesus loves rest. So we should too. Okay, you're still with me. Good. So finally, there are a variety of pursuits or attitudes of the heart, for lack of a better term, that Jesus loves. Okay? So more than once throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus commenting on the beauty of a generous heart, right? We see him encouraging his friends and his, his disciples towards a posture of humility. He loves simple and pure faith like a child, and he has some very important things to say about obedience to God's commands. And one other attitude of the heart that Jesus really cares a lot about is unity. In John 17, verse 20 and following, Jesus repeatedly prays for unity. Listen, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Okay, he's praying for us right there. That they may, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. And then Paul, he emphasizes this in Romans chapter 15, verse 5. He says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, there's a lot that could be said here, but one reason that Jesus loves unity among the body of Christ is because unity among diversity is the most accurate representation of the sweet fellowship that he experiences as a member of the Trinity. Jesus loves unity because it is at the very heart of the triune God. It is the guiding principle of three persons, one God. Jesus loves unity because when different cultures and perspectives and ethnicities and social backgrounds come together as one mind, a watching world gets a glimpse of the fullest glory of God. When the body of Christ displays a unity of heart and mind and mission, God is lifted high. Jesus loves unity. It was near and dear to his heart during his final days on earth. It was on his mind as he talked to his father. So if we love Jesus, we should learn to love unity as well. Now, I understand this is really, really challenging. 
especially given our current political and cultural climate, right? I mean, nearly every direction we turn presents a possibility for disunity, right? I don't even have to name these, do I? Masks, no masks, vaccines, no vaccines, male, female, rich, poor, black, white, popular, unpopular, should I even go here, Carter's founders, right? Our human hearts tend towards self-protection, and we long to be comfortable. And so we naturally gravitate to people who are just like us. They look like us, they sound like us, they dress like us, or are interested in the same things that we're interested in. It's just easier and more comfortable this way. But listen, unity is not sameness, my friends. Unity is not sameness. In fact, unity is most beautifully displayed among differences. That is the vision of, the, of kingdom unity, and that is why Jesus came, to break down barriers. So, how might loving unity change the way we interact with those we disagree with? How might this attitude inform our friendships and our discussions and our choices and who you choose to sit with at lunch? Jesus loves unity. And we should too. There's so much more that can be said, but here's some homework for you. As you read through scripture, specifically as you read through the gospels and as you encounter the heart of Jesus, that's our prayer for you this year here in chapel, is that you encounter the heart of Jesus. And as you do this, as you read who Jesus is and how he has revealed himself to be in the gospels, pay attention to the things that he cares about. Look for the people and the habits and the attitudes of the heart that Jesus loves. And then if you don't know what to do, if you don't know what it means to follow Jesus, start by learning to love those things too. To love Jesus is to love the things that he loves. And it is not easy. You are not going to be good at this right away, or even in five years, or even in 20 years. To follow Jesus is actually an invitation to a, a, same, a long obedience in the same direction, as Eugene Peterson puts it, right? It's actually, discipleship is at its core practice. You are going to have to be diligent at loving the body of Christ. You are going to have to practice loving rest, and you will need the power of the Holy Spirit to help you with unity. But something amazing begins to happen when we begin to love the things that Jesus loves. We start to be transformed actually into the image of Christ from the inside out. Jesus is in some ways the blueprint for a new humanity. And as we shape our loves and align those with the loves of Jesus, we actually start to become more and more of who we were originally created and designed to be. And that is an amazing thing. So again, as you start your semester, as you enter into your first full week of classes, don't waste this chance. Don't throw away this opportunity. Don't get caught up in the downward paths that lead you away from Jesus and away from becoming actually whole men and whole women. Jesus is inviting you on a journey of love, of being loved by him, 
and learning from him through the power of the Spirit to love the things that he loves. Let's take him up on his invitation. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we know actually that we only love because you have first loved us. And we also know that we are so bad at loving the way that you ask us and call us to love. But we want to follow Jesus. And so we pray that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, enable us to learn to love the things that you love, that you would begin shaping our hearts to be more and more into the image of Jesus. It's for your glory, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.